All right. Next thing that happened, though, as they were talking, is the guy said, listen, you go to church, don't you? And he said, yeah, I go to St. Paul's. And he said, would you tell me, would you tell me that God loves me and would you pray for me? He said, I've, I'm struggling with alcohol addiction. I'm in a group, but I need a Christian to pray for me. Would you pray for me? All over a dadgum tomato garden. Is our God not awesome? Our God can use a tomato garden to help us to love our neighbors. So when we have the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and secondly, to love your neighbors yourself, are we taking it seriously? Are we actually neighboring? Jesus meant for us to actually neighbor to the people around us. Last week, Corey showed us that that diagram, this little tic-tac-toe thing, and gave us homework to take that home and put ourselves in the middle and name our neighbors. Tell them, tell their professions. What are their kids' names? What are their struggles in life? This is a game changer. This convicted me because I don't know my neighbor well. So I'm going to ask you the question, are you available? Are you intentional? Are you neighboring? Because the major obstacle in your life and mine is going to be a four-letter word, T-I-M-E. That's the hurdle. That's the barrier, right? Time. That's the hardest thing to overcome. One more thing on our plates. Let's look at how Jesus looked at ministry in his life and see if we can draw some conclusions. Chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel, verses 22 and following. If you can turn there, please do. It's a delightful story. It's a rich gospel. What we find in verse 22 of chapter 5 in Mark's gospel is it says, Then came a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he fell down at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And Jesus went with him. Jesus accepted the challenge. He accepted the ministry opportunity. All right, so what do we have? We got this really important guy, ruler of the synagogue, lay leader, lay preacher, biblical expositor. He would have been a real key person in their church. So think about any lay leader that we have in our church. And the guy is desperate for a healing miracle for his daughter. So the mission, Jesus, she's about dead. Hurry up. Please come. Is imperative. The mission is absolutely imperative. But Jesus, look, notice, he allows himself to be interrupted during this time. The pressing crowd, look at verse 24. He's trying to press through the crowd. They're waylaying him. They're distracting him from the greater mission that he's been called to do. However, there's one person in this story that even deters him further. Look, verse 25. A woman who had been hemorrhaging with blood for 12 years came to Jesus for healing. Now, she not only comes to Jesus, in verse 26 we're told she's already visited every other physician she could find, and they just made matters worse. She had not been healed. So what does that mean? 12 years of hemorrhaging, we can imagine it's some kind of gynecological issue that she had. 12 years would have meant that she was lonely that she was unable to worship, unclean, could not go into the temple. That's probably a reject from her family. 
Probably society looked at her and asked the question, what did you do to deserve this? God is out to get you for some reason. Imagine her desperation. Verse 29 says she reached out and grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed absolutely on the spot, completely. Now, here's what I want you to realize. It would have been enough for Jesus to say, okay, you got your healing, now, now go on about your business. I got this little daughter to save. Would have been okay for Jesus to say, shoe fly, don't bother me. You got what everybody else in the crowd wanted, a healing. Now I've got better business to attend to. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't dismiss her. Now he does lovingly and gently and grace-filled way in verse 34. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You've been healed of your disease. But before we get there, look at what Jesus does. He allows for a holy interruption. He's got a schedule. He's got a calendar. He's got things to do, but allows himself to be in available and intentional about the way he neighbors. Verse 33, look at what happens. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she'd been healed, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus. Now this is a worship moment and told him the whole truth. We'd like to skip over that verse, hold him the whole truth. But I think that's important. I think it's very important. Not only had she been restored physically and spiritually to her community, but she needed to have some confession time. So you can just imagine her pouring out her whole truth about herself to Jesus. These last 12 years, here are my sins, Jesus. Here's my loneliness over these past 12 years. Here are my feelings of inadequacy over these past 12 years. Here's the pain of societal rejection over these past 12 years. She dumped on Jesus. And Jesus took time for her to neighbor to her. Even though he had a grand mission, he took time out for his neighbor. The disciples, they must have gotten so critical of Jesus in these moments. Um, you remember the time that he's on this preaching journey in Jericho and sees this trashy old tax collector up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, buddy. I'm having supper at your place tonight. And Zacchaeus unpacked all of his sins on Jesus. And Luke says that he was restored as a child of Abraham on that day. Jesus took time out for Zacchaeus. Jesus took time out for this unnamed woman in spite of the churchgoer, the church leader who needed a, a healing himself, he took time out for a nobody. Remember the disciples when they had children around would often say, shoe fly, get out of here children, the master's got better business to do. Remember what Jesus would say? Do not hinder the little children, for such belongs the kingdom of God. He took time out for everybody. He had a busy schedule and allowed himself to be interruptible. You never look at the life and ministry of Jesus in the Bible, do you, and say, wow, that guy was in a hurry. Damn, you just never see that, do you? Jesus always took time for relationships. Ever notice that? You never look at the life and ministry of Jesus and say, boy, you could have gotten a lot more accomplished if you'd have just stuck to the task. You wouldn't say that about Jesus. Here in three short years of ministry, he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Check, 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 check. Talk about a model of efficiency. He got things done. But he always left time for people. 
allowed himself to be wholly interruptible and invested in individuals. Even on the cross when he said, it's finished, all these things are accomplished, he was then caring for his mama. Mama, meet your new son, John. John, meet your new mama, Mama Mary. Jesus lived a life of holy rhythms. He adjusted to the people in his life. John Ortberg once said in a book called The Life You've Always Wanted, he said, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. Hurry, sickness is what he calls it. He said the reason why, we, why hurry is so dangerous is because love and hurry are not at all compatible. Because love always takes time. And time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. Time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. Jesus never got into a hurry. He always loved and invested in people. Hurry, my friends, is toxic to the love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, because it takes you away from Scripture and prayer and all the wonderful things of worship. It's toxic to that, and it's toxic to your relationship with other people. Hurry is toxic spiritually. Sometimes our greatest ministry achievements are going to be going across the street and cutting somebody's grass, not asking the question of why your grass is so high, but simply serving them in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's going to be building a tomato garden and wasting time out back so that your neighbor sees that you're available and can come over and ask you to pray for a very difficult situation in his or her life. Sometimes it's throwing a block party so you get to know the names of your neighbors and get to know their needs and to put the pieces of your community together in your mind. So what this takes is to be able to say yes, no to some very good things, in order to say yes to the greater things. Two great commandments. Love God, love neighbor. If you're anything like me, you don't need one more thing on your plate. You've got a lot of things to do already. But time, T-I-M-E, is available for all of us. Years ago, we would not have dreamed about having all the time-saving conveniences we have today. Text messages and emails and all this stuff. I've got a personal assistant that goes with me every single day, and I boss her around, and she never talks back and always does exactly what I say with two words. Hey, Siri. And automatically, she does whatever I ask. We've got all these time-saving things, and yet we've got no more time to create relationships of depth. We're an inch deep and a mile wide. Will you pray about cleaning up your schedule so that your ministry goals align with the goals of Jesus, who was never in a hurry, who always took time to build relationships, and always cared for the stranger in his midst? Jesus confronts Martha in Luke 10, 41. The Lord says to Martha, she's busy in the kitchen. She's doing good stuff. She's serving Jesus, but she's busy. And she is angry. She is livid at her sister Mary. And she says, tell Mary to come in the kitchen and help me. Remember what Jesus says? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about so many things. But Mary has chosen the better portion. She can sit at the feet of the incarnate God and listen to him preach and teach. She's chosen the better portion. So what is this about? Martha could have said no to a great thing 
ministering in the kitchen, and yes to a better thing. So what are the things that you're called to say no to in order to do one of the great commandments of Jesus? Love your neighbor as yourself. What? Will you look at your calendar this week? It's called the Art of Elimination. If you go to Florence, Italy, you can see one of Michelangelo's great statues called the David. Uh, it's a statue of David. And once he was asked, how do you take a big old block of granite and carve a magnificent masterpiece like this? He said this, I simply removed everything that wasn't the masterpiece. Chip by chip, he took away everything that wasn't crucial and critical and core. And what was left was a beautiful masterpiece. Friends, we can chip away at all the TV and Facebook and social media and the things that don't matter so that we can be Christ in the world. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in chapter 17 of John's Gospel, said, Just as the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you. Friends, we're not called to be Christians just in the church or just on Sundays or just with our community. Just as the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you. We're called to be in the world, not of the world. So that's our challenge. How do we clean up our schedule, our ministry time, in order to align that time with the critical goals of Jesus to love our neighbor and build relationships? Jesus told the lawyer last week when Corey preached, he said, you want to see what neighboring's like? He said, suppose that there was a Samaritan and two, two priestly type people, a priest and a Levite. And I'd like to think that this priest and the Levite, when they saw this robbed man who's dying, bleeding out on the road, that they were just busy. Now, they certainly could get themselves ritually impure by tending to the guy's needs, but I think they were tending to church needs. They were going around the guy because they were busy. They were hurried. They were getting on with business, checking off the boxes. And then a Samaritan comes along, and he stops. And he not only anoints the guy for healing, but he takes some wine out and pours it on his wounds in order to prevent the bacteria from growing. He puts him on his own horse or his uh, mule, takes him to the inn, pays his entire innkeeper, um, his entire um, fare for the innkeeper, then promises to come back a few days later, check on the guy, and if he's incurred any other costs, then he would pay for it all. Do you think this guy had scheduled that in his calendar? Do you think that, that maybe he had just all this extra time to be spending on this one guy? No. He took time out and invested intentionally, invested himself financially, invested himself in this relationship with this stranger on a road who's been robbed and left for dead. What can we do if we get serious about the second great commandment? To love our neighbor as ourselves. Maybe God's commanding, asking us to get rid of some really great things in order to do the greatest thing, to love our neighbor. In order to begin this work, friends, I pray that you would go home with God today. If you hadn't gotten one of these, take one from the back of the church and begin to fill it out and be embarrassed as I was embarrassed because I can't name my neighbors. And begin to be available to your neighborhood, to the folks around you, to adjust your schedule so that you have time to be a good neighbor. The biggest barrier you'll have is time. 
The greatest gift God's given you is time. Manage it well to God's glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we've been called to be neighbors. Uh, it's exciting. It's daunting. It's, it's a crazy task, a big mission. It's bigger than any of us. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and allow us to free up time so that we can be good neighbors and fulfill the second great commandment. And dear Lord, help us, even in this church, to neighbor to one another. So give us creative ways, whether it be a, a tomato garden or uh, plowing somebody's grass and keeping up their yard, dear Lord, whatever it is, help us to be creative and neighboring right where we are to our actual neighbors in our actual neighborhoods. In Jesus' name.